This is the Gomaluku Podcast. Sabea, respectful greetings. Uh, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. Uh, this is a special episode of the Gomaluku Podcast uh, with lots of stuff for you. Uh, joined by my co-host, uh, Jocelyn Tinglinghui Chen. Um, Jocelyn, what do we have in store for the people today? Right. This is Jocelyn from Taiwan. And again, welcome to the Wazo Experiences of Indigenous Peoples live conversation. So first, we are going to talk about some context and impacts of the current war situation in Ukraine. And we know there is propaganda going on from both sides. So we're going to try to unpack the situation for our audience today. And then I think for a lot of people, you might be wondering about the situation and also like what kind of challenges the indigenous peoples are facing or are encountering in both countries. So we will update you on their experiences as well. And we also have a dialogue with international guests reflecting on militarism, conflict and more. So joining us today will be the chairman of the indigenous democracy Defense organization, Dema Curry, and Slow Food Indigenous Peoples Network Advisory Board for Asia, and also the spokesperson of Slow Food BUQ, Daikita Bayashi, and the youth leader for the campaign against the Jin Dimes in Kabukao, Abayo, in the Cordillera region in the Philippines, Mia Aboran, and the Secretary General of the Alifuro Council, Huna Matuke. Sorry if I pronounce it wrong. And also the founder of YU Women Force in Colombia, Carmen Ramirez. And uh, so we will start with the context and some impact. Yeah, so um, to keep things clear and crisp for you, uh, we have sliced and diced it in many segments. Uh, we'll be discussing the background, the demands that are ongoing on both sides, um, the latest developments, um, the media coverage, which is also important, um, human rights, obviously, uh, diplomacy, the impacts of it, and the uh, diplomatic um, yeah, uh, uh, activities that are ongoing, uh, the geopolitical impacts, uh, and Russophobia, uh, which is also something that we see happening right now. Um, so let, let's dive run, right into it. Um, Jocelyn, what do you have for us on the background of the war situation so far? Well, I will, of course, have to say that it's way too complicated to explain the causes and all the background realities regarding the invasion of Russia. But I will say it is very important that we turn the clock back to understand the big game behind this ongoing conflict. And uh, well, as we can see on the screen now, that there are a lot of news coverages and analysis we can access via different channels. But we have to be cautious about the information we're getting since there are a lot of, um, again, propaganda, fake news, or, you know, all these informations. And also, like, when we see from the media, we can see they are kind of making Russia as, like, the badass. And, of course, it is, like, it's bad with all the action it's taking. But still, there are a lot of uh, causes behind it. And uh, also in history, we learned that a war is never just happened overnight. Well, in, and uh, not only between, and a war is not only between the countries under fire. There are a lot of actors in what is uh, what make the war happen. And uh, well, at this uh, in this specific article, I found 
It pointed out that we need to understand that the crisis between Russia and Ukraine, like many other wars and conflicts, is a manufactured one. And one of the reasons is because of the energy partnership and the over-reliance between Russia and Europe, especially Germany. So Russia supplied about one-third of European natural gas consumption, while Germany was getting more than half of its natural gas from Russia. And plans of, Russia, uh, plans of Germany and other countries to phase out nuclear and coal power would further increase this dependence on Russia for energy supply. So some of the countries we can see at first they were reluctant to really respond to the ambition Russia has already shown before the invasion. Also, we can imagine this kind of energy reliance and this close tie between Russia and European countries is getting on the nerve of the U.S. So, well, of course, I'm not going to go into details here, but I just want to take this aspect as one of the examples to point out that re reality is complicated and involving many actors and causes. Also, of course, the invasion, as I said, the bad, the bad guy should be condemned and it's not acceptable. But how, like, but this kind of um, giant or superpower we have to think about is that who feed this hunger of the giant. And this is not only regarding Russia, but also other superpowers in the world. And I think people will have the answer who are other superpowers. Mm. Yeah, ab absolutely, uh, Jocelyn. And I think you, you touched a very good point there is that there, there are many different aspects to a war situation. And there's not just a a classical like uh, uh, villain and, and a victim in, in this. It's more complex as the, the global situation is, is, is there's, there's so many linkages and what we're going to try to unpack as well today. Uh, this, so that's why we, uh, we also included the geopolitical um, segment in, into this conversation. And that's why we also brought in the, the experts or the, the, the uh, indigenous peoples um, that have experienced war situations or military um, occupations or militarism um, to, a, to a very certain extent um, so that uh, you as, as people that are watching, that are listening, that have um, a much broader view of things or are more uh, better informed about uh, about the situation and also know that this is not an incident. This is not an isolated mm -hmm. incident. There is a background and there is also um, uh, so, some some lessons that we can learn from the past. And and also that there are also aspects to, to a war situation that are untold and and and, uh, and stories that, that are untold. Um, so that's why we uh, think that this this uh, wanted to set you the stage for you all um, that about the, the background. Obviously, in a war situation, what we've heard so far is that there's a, that a, there are demands uh, on 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 all sides, uh, and in this case, the Russian side and 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 the Ukrainian side. Um, jo Jocelyn, what did you uh, like, what did you find about that? Well. Of course, there are demands from both sides, but I just want to focus on the Ukrainian side. And actually, I found two articles with very similar titles. Uh, both are asking, what do Ukrainians want? And uh, actually, the demands of the uh, Ukrainian people, they it, it doesn't really change since 2014. It's about sovereignty. 
it's about independence. It's about freedom. It's about their dignity. So in the 2014 article, it is pointed out that Ukrainians want an open door policy toward Russia, but not a Russian takeover. And people, of course, support, well, like a lot of people, they support open border with no visa, just like what's going on between uh, the US and Canada with uh, this free of uh, free traveling, but not as part of Russia. And this demand remains unchanged in surveys conducted in 2021 and 2022, as uh, mentioned in the article I found in February uh, 2022. So we can also see that according to a survey, although Ukrainians didn't want the war to take place, but they are prepared to resist Russian aggression in defend their independence. And this is um, this this was uh, showed in the 2022 article, which I found quite sad because you no know, people are prepared for war, even they they don't they didn't want it. And uh, this is just for me. It's very difficult to imagine. This is 2022, and we are still talking about war and we can have this kind of invasion just happen under the side of the world yeah and it's it's um uh, if, if you look at the geopolitical context for a lot of people that are that are um uh did this war situation are following through the news um they they get the idea that it actually started this year. However, like you need to put it into a much broader context. Exactly. Uh, in terms of, uh, for example, the 2014, like the the, the mm-hmm. invasion of uh, the, the the of Crimea and annexation of Crimea, and way long before that. Um, I submit to you for 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 people that are watching and listening, uh, the Budapest Memorandum of 1994, where. Actually, basically, what the West did was promise to to the to the Russian governments, like, well, we will not try to, uh, uh, yeah, we will not try to uh, push you more into that corner, so that so that you feel more uh, threatened. And which which one of the 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 elements of the the Budapest Memorandum was was that Ukraine will not fought, would not uh, become part of the of of NATO or the European Union. Mm. Um, and I'm not saying that this, this. I'm not justifying it. I'm definitely not justifying this war situation. But I'm. Uh, I do find it necessary that we that we become aware of what the uh, yeah what the reasons that yeah both sides are are um, are uh, especially for the Russian side then to to quote unquote the military special military operation whatever mm. which it has a very significant meaning with, with an international law in, in in the context in ref- when you compare it to a war situation um but th- th- and then you see the demands on, on both sides which which are uh, right now you see that there's too much too much uh, for a part that so at this point um hopefully the cooler heads will prevail and that people will, will start to uh think more about about uh, about trying to come to a, some some conflict resolution that does not involve uh, World War Three that we're circling uh, spiraling into, into into that, but more in terms of a quick and swift and and justified uh, situation where uh, where of, of peace. Mm. Um, so this is just my uh, some my, my some of my thoughts on that. It's um, Jocelyn. Uh, when we well, if if we segue to the latest developments, uh, what do you have on that? 
Well, as uh, maybe some of the people who are watching this uh, live stream knows that I, I used to work as a reporter for TV. So of course, I do pay more attention to what happened to the media and also reporters. So I, it really got on my nerve when I saw this article or saw this uh, news two days ago. It is about a Russian reporter who was killed in shillings in Kiev. And so far, we, already, we know that there are at least four other reporters have been killed during the conflicts, including one American uh, journalist and also one from, uh, I think, from Ireland and uh, two, uh, another one from, um, from uh, Ukraine. And the other one, I think, also from Russia. But anyway, there's also television news crews reported that um, they were still being attacked after they told or after they identified themselves as journalists. And this is something really, I will say, really terrifying and very, I don't know, it, it worried me a lot because, you know, we know that when the reporters are targeted or even killed intentionally, that it's very wrong. And we, we've seen that all over the world for the past decades because of like reporters reporting on the truth of development project or like the, uh, the, the violation conducted by the government against its own people. Like a lot of this kind of incident happened, well, not incident, but like killings or murders happened around the world for the past decades, and especially targeting reporters. I would say this is something we have to um, pay really close attention to because this is a attempt to silence the voices of reality and truth and also trying to blind people from what is really going on uh, regarding a lot of different kinds of situations. So this is definitely something the international society needs to take actions to, to change this kind of um, horrifying situation, I would have to say. Yeah, absolutely. And well, while you mentioned that, it's uh, something, and uh, probably Damon can, can, can um, bring up, um, uh, knows who said it, is that um, usually when it comes to war, the, the first victim of war without even a shot is being fired is, is the truth. Mm -hmm. you know? And uh, this is what, what you're seeing is, is that when it comes to war situation, um, that, that the truth is being, uh, is being suffocated where, and, and propaganda or, or censor, censorship is, is getting the, uh, um, yeah, is becoming more, more, more evident. And whereas um, the uh, and you see all these reporters be, being abducted or, or kidnapped or, or or silenced in in any way, shape, or form, um, that is not uh, if if you're seeking, as you would imagine, like if if you're seeking for for support from from the international community, then the the freedom of expression, uh, freedom of journalism, should be paramount. It should be you should be, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, championing um, a, a um, journalists that are seeking the truth and they're trying to report on on various uh, um, yeah, aspects of the war, and so that's why yeah I think it's very very good that you brought that up. Something something that I wanted to bring up in terms of the latest developments was um, which is more it's a little bit which more in line with, with the work that I do is um, the the resolution that was just now adopted a couple of uh, uh, a couple 
well, a couple of days ago. And it's just another UN re- resolution uh, from the from the UN General Assembly urging Russia to end its war on Ukraine. The difficulty within the UN is obviously the, Russia being a member of the of the UN Security Council, having the ability to veto whatever they uh, they deem that, that need to be vetoed. Um, mm. So this is one of another attempt of the of the UN General Assembly, um, yeah, to um, yeah, to condemn the, the the situation and also to come to a peaceful resolution of this situation. So this resolution was 140 votes for the resolution on humanitarian consequences of the aggression against Ukraine, and amongst others, mem- mem- member states amongst. Um, no, sorry. Member states, amongst other demands, actually uh, demanded that Russia respects their obligation to allow rapid, safe, and unhindered humanitarian access to all people in need. You see that a lot of these cities are being um, uh, isolated right now in in, in, in some in, in most parts of Ukraine, and there's um, requesting for cor- humanitarian corridors to be created, um, and for, for um, yeah, people to be able refugees, for example, uh, not having to uh, fear from from intimidation, which we'll we'll get into later on, because um, that's also a very important aspect. Uh, uh, so the UN General Assembly, and I, I I can imagine that as the war as the situation continues, more resolutions will 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 be uh, will be uh, submitted to the General Assembly or at the Human Rights Council uh, in Geneva, um, trying to I think it's the UN the international community's uh, way of or attempt to address the situation, but also knowing the elephant in the room that, mm-hmm. that, that Russia is part of the um, UN Security Council. Exactly. Yeah. And also, I think that's something we should think or we can think about is that this kind of um, international framework we have as United Nations, but still we do have this superpowers, as I mentioned earlier, that is like playing very influential role in this uh, international framework. And in this kind of situation, it kind of hinder the 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 purpose that we we wanted to have this kind of international framework at the first place, and maybe it's time for us or for the world to think about what kind of international st- structures or orders we at this moment of time should I don't know revise or should rebuild or you know reconstruct. It's just I think it's also a very good a very important moment for the world to really reflect on what have happened after the Second World War, after we have United Nations. And within this um, 70 years, after these 70 years, maybe there is something we should do more to, to, I don't know, to pursue the really stable, uh, the possibility of uh, stability of the world. Right. Yeah. And, and also and also that what what, for example, the, the uh, former president of General Assembly, uh, Maria Fernanda Espinosa Garcés said like that she um, she wanted to have like multilateralism is 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 on a decline. Uh, and and I think this is this is an example of that, like that, that having um, what, what you're seeing right now is that mm-hmm. there needs to be some kind of revitalization of the international community that is more. Um, it's more ethical. That is uh, that that embraces empathy. That that is more justified. And I think that is, in any case, um, that we should be be trying to to endeavor to, um, yeah, to, to seek that um, a more, yeah, um, a, 
yeah, better relationships in between countries and between peoples. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. What was the next segment, um, uh, Jocelyn? Well, uh, I want to show people two pictures ah, about, right. like, you know, as we said earlier, that we got a lot of information from different media channels and a lot of, like, I don't like news we don't know, or sometimes it's hard to tell if this is uh, true. And I think for a lot of people, you've seen these pictures that that was uh, in the Russian uh, Russian TV news program, and uh, one of the editors she just ran into the newsroom and held up this sign. Uh, it's only like not even five minutes, but then of course she was taken away and then she was charged. And uh, but I want to want you to see this um, the other picture on the upper I think that's left that most of the the words were erased on this one and only left with uh, uh, one sentence and uh, this is because now in russia it's a crime if you mention war you cannot mention this term war and we can see that the freedom of speech is seriously violated and uh, people we can we also see from a lot of like social media that people were not they were just mentioning that uh what's going on or they were they didn't even really say anything yet then they were taken away no matter if this person is against or for the war so again with media it's really getting me to think a lot about what is going on with uh, the situation and also when we are valuing um the the media and also we have very convenient access to the media but what can we do to ensure that the freedom of speech and also to ensure that the safety of those people who are trying to tell the truth, who are trying to reveal the reality, can be safe in this kind of situation. And I'm not talking about only about only uh, in the situation of uh, in Russia, but all over the world. Again, that's something really people tend to. I don't know. Sometimes I even heard the people, or even heard people saying that. Once you choose to become reporter, then that's a risk you should take. And for me, it's so wrong to say that. You know, it's just like to blend the soldiers to saying that, oh, you should not join the army, then you have to take a risk to 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 sacrifice your life. You know, like, of course, I think it's maybe not so much com competitive, but still, this is something that kept me thinking a lot. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think this lady, I'm trying to look up what her name was, Marina Ovist of C. I'm going to butcher this. I'm so sorry. Marina of Um the, the protester in, in that photo that's been going all over, all over the world. Uh, it's yeah. such a brave woman. Um, and I think the last thing that I heard uh, her whereabouts were uncertain um, at, at this point. So I hope that she, she's doing okay. And then also um, hope that um yeah this also sheds a light on the um yeah on, on the, the need again for for uh, accurate media coverage when you talk about media coverage and this is what i wanted to contribute to, to this um uh, to this to, to to that to that particular topic is um which is something that i like to point out is that there's because there's so many propaganda out there going on um from both sides that it's hard to make sense of all this so that's why we're doing this do this live stream for one uh, but if you cl place close attention to the media coverage of the mainstream media, you see, I, 
I, at least I see two patterns emerge. Uh, one is that politicians are super hawkish for a confrontation. Uh, whilst we all know that a conventional war or uh, 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 starts with a war that starts with, starts with conventional weapons between Russia and and its allies and 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 for example, and the West and its allies doesn't necessarily end that ends that way. Um, so that is something that I wanted to that I that found it, that I, that we need to. Uh, Point out, and that the mainstream media should be very careful of in terms of like, what are you, what are you showing to the to the to the public that is actually can actually contribute to like, uh, yeah, to scaling down and de-escalating the the, the um, um, yeah the, the situation. And at that, at that particular job, I think that, that, that a lot of media is doing doing a very job at it, at educating people about the war. Here's a clip that I found from uh, from Twitter um, that happened earlier um, earlier this month. Um, so let, let's let's take a look at this. Uh, it's it's you can't really you can pay close attention. It's a march, and people are actually chanting "Close the sky." So, so this particular well, what what I mean with closest time, closest time means like the no fly zone that everyone has been talking about. So that we need to instate a no fly zone, and it's saw people chanting a closest sky and banners to close the sky or a no fly zone. But this is a a very dangerous uh, thing that you're trying to uh, yeah that you're trying to get the governments to to. Um, to do, as in to create this no-fly zone, because this could potentially spiral into a direct conflict between Russia and the United States. Um, so if if one airplane by accident, quote-unquote, shoots down another airplane, that's it. We're at full-scale war. And like I said before, when two nuclear powers face off each other at 10 paces, they're not going to use like just normal, normal pistols to face to face off each other, like the idea of this whole of what we're doing as a global community should be super clear. It's to end the war and not start a much bigger one. So that's what what, what I'm trying to say with, with um, that the uh, when it comes to media coverage, that the media coverage should also be super aware of 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 the the implications of because we're already like before. Ukraine, we're at one percent chance of nuclear war. You don't want to increase that percentage. Like you, you want to keep it as low as possible. So that's, you know, in terms of media coverage, that's what I, what I need to, uh, wanted to um, wanted to bring forward. Yep, and I think also for some media coverage, it's also creating this hatred against people who are unwillingly, but they somehow just you know. Uh, got involved in the war and yeah I will talk about that later with this topic too but it's just yeah as you said this media literacy is very important and we I think in a way we fail to do that to educate the people and also to educate the media people sometimes themselves mm. so yeah <laughs> anyway I think we can again also now we can talk about the situation of human rights and uh, I have to say that I've been thinking about what to share regarding human rights. 
But then I really realized it's actually we don't really talk much. We don't really need to talk much about what violations we can see against human rights in the war, because you know it's all over the media. It's all over like the the social media as well. But I think the question we want to ask is, what can we do with it? And、uh, yeah, this is the I think this is the latest tweet from、um, uh, Human Rights. Council, wait, what? What was the? But anyway, it was showing the the numbers that we can we have after one month of、uh, the war, and、uh, it's about I think ten million people escaping from、uh, or displaced, not escaping, displaced, and over one thousand civilians were killed, and、uh, of course there are a lot of.、Uh, There are hospitals and schools destroyed or bombed, and what? Well, I have to say that my question or what I want to post here is that, as it said, it must be stopped. The war must be stopped, but how?、Mm. And I think that's also related to what Gansali just shared. I mean, with the media coverage, isn't really. Uh, making the situation better, or it's somehow probably worsen the situation. And for this question, I really don't have an answer now.、Mm. Yeah, it, it's. I think that's why、uh, we included the human rights、uh, um, segment in there as well, mostly because it's closely related to indigenous rights, and also how do you in in a, in a in a war situation also like how do you maintain the rule of law. How do how do you maintain some, that not just the rules of military engagement or military operations, but like just basic human rights, how they can be、uh, they can be respected, yeah, and, and also I think just basic respect to lives, because、absolutely. this bombing and、uh, targeting hospitals and schools is just it's crime. It's definitely crime. Yeah, it's like the the question always that that, that I believe that, that that has people is always on people's minds. Is like, what are you trying to achieve? What is, what is the message that you're trying to send? Like, if if you're gonna bomb a hospital, like it it is, you you will not get any goodwill from from other people. Uh, they will only see you as 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 the aggressor or more. more they will be more entrenched, more certain, more more convinced that you that you are the the aggressor. So that's. Uh, there's no, yeah, I I don't see no reason actually why,、uh, apart from, yeah,、uh, we'll see no reason actually why why that is should be should be part of the whole,、uh, yeah,、uh, war tactics,、um, mm. or military conflict tactics. Um, something that I wanted to bring up was were actually two slides. Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna cheat a little bit,、uh, Jocelyn. I apologize for that. Um, one is、uh, so when we list obviously war situation,、uh, humanitarian humanitarian situation is getting out of control, and Ukrainians are are trying to flee the country. However, what you do see is that not just Ukrainians are trying to flee the country, but also people of other ethnicities, ethnicities like Asians and African people, and this is what I found. So, for example, undocumented Roma refugees facing discrimination as they flee Ukraine. Or many non-white refugees fleeing Ukraine caught in limbo at borders amid reports of discrimination. Fleeing war, facing racism, refugees from Ukraine meet challenges at Europe's borders. So it, it's 
there's this this whole discrimination part. Like it it it, it is you're already in a very um, in a very dangerous situation. And and then um, having this and this whole Orwellian quote kind of comes to mind when I read this is that um, all animals are equal, but some animals are more equal than other animals. You know, and it's and th- th- this is what's happening. Uh, when you talk about humanitarian, uh, like basic human rights, it, it is about everyone that wants to flee a war should be able to flee the war without a- ethnicity, race, creed, color, or whatever. If you're if you're blue, purple, or a Smurf, you should be able to flee the war if you if you want to. Uh, but it is it is mind-boggling to me in this in this day and age, 2022, that people are still being discriminated against. Um, you see, you see horrible images of people being kicked out of buses and people of color, people of black people and, and, and other non-Ukrainians being kicked out of buses so that they cannot flee the country. And that's just something that, that, that um, is super concerning to me. Um, what a lot of people ask as well, and what we got in the, in, in the comments uh, in, in previous posts was that the people are aware and concerned why Europe is suddenly opening its gates for Ukrainian refugees, but was super skeptical um, about it when refugees from Syria, Afghanistan, and other war zones tried to find a safe haven in Europe. And here's what the author um, um, uh, of the book called Discrimination and Delegation, Explaining State Responses to Refugees, um, said about it. Uh, it's uh, Ms. Lamis Abdelati. Um, this one, here's what she said, had to say about it. Part of the answer has to do with identity. Ukrainians are seen as white, Christian, and Syrians, Afghans, and others are not perceived this way. People sympathize with refugees who think, who they think share their race, religion, etc. But identity is not the whole story. There's a foreign policy dimension to this too. It matters that Ukrainians are fleeing a Russian invasion. Welcome them, welcoming them is another way for European countries to condemn Putin and to powerfully signal which side of the conflict they are on. And then she continues that we're even seeing differences in how the word crisis is used. So in terms of terminology, when people talk about the Ukrainian refugee crisis, it's being cr- framed as uh, correctly, obviously, as a crisis for Ukrainians. Compare this with, with 2015, when Syrians are, were trying to uh, flee uh, the, the war situation, the focus was on arrival spurring a crisis for U- European countries. So that's, so that's what, what, I, what, I, what, I, what I want to talk about human rights that I really want to highlight um, in this um, yeah, in this human rights segment, the, that it's not uh, universal, the, 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 uh, the enjoyment of human rights. Uh, but and there's also a, a very discriminative um, explanation that can be found behind it. Um, as as now uh, uh, has been shared by uh, Ms. Lamis Abdelati. I think it's also very political. You know, we can see all these political agendas behind it with the attitude of different countries and towards refugees fleeing from their countries, uh, from different countries. It's just, I don't know, it, it becomes so transparent in a way for people to see. But the sad thing is we can see this political agenda behind it. But a lot of times it seems like the reality that this nowadays world is having with, you know, uh, powers and, uh, yeah, 
I don't know. It's just I I I I have difficulty to put my words together. But yeah, it's something really worrying and really worth wondering. And also, people should bear that in mind instead of just looking at the like the 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 shallow information we get from media, but really look into the the uh, real questions or causes behind it.、Mm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> It's so heavy to talk about all these things, Michael. <laughs> You're doing good, though. Well, let me talk about something a bit more from the bright side now. Okay. <laughs> okay. So then we have another segment about diplomacy, right? And、mm-hmm. uh, well, as a person from Taiwan, I will have to say that the Taiwanese government is, for me, I, I would say they are grabbing this opportunity to、um, enhance. Uh, our um, our how to say that our absent our um, to enhance that our wait I cannot come up with the word to well to make us more more uh seeable in the world in a way because for example like when the uh at the outburst of the COVID nineteen pandemic at that time Taiwan was doing relatively. Good, comparing to a lot of other countries, and at that time we w- we were able to supply like face masks or some other like medical、uh, supports to many countries,、mm-hmm. and at that time we also come up with a slogan: Taiwan can help. We had we got a lot of、um, international media coverage because of that, and people really noticed that Taiwan is doing very differently from China. Even though people a lot of times they cannot tell what's the difference between people from these two countries, but anyway, this time that ha- that when the、uh, invasion took place, Taiwan immediately gather medical supplies and send those supplies to 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 Ukraine. As you can see, this is a、uh, Instagram account from the president of Taiwan, Tai、uh, Tai Ingwen, and、uh, also with the slogan "Taiwan can help." Later, we also send clothes and other needed goods to Ukraine and also to Poland and also other、uh, European countries where the refugee, the Ukrainian refugees,、uh, gathered. So I would say that from this part, or from, or if we see from this aspect, it is like a breakthrough for Taiwan to be seen in the international society, and so to show the difference、uh, we can we have for the differences,、um, the government, how the government is、uh, encountering the different situations in this recent years regarding the pandemic and also regarding the invasion of Russia, how we respond to all these crises. Of the world, so I will see maybe in a way it's an opportunity for country like Taiwan to be recognized in a way. So yeah, if we look at it from the bright side. Yeah, so it, it's it's it shows two things, right? The, the, this uh, image one is like you said, like、uh, it's Taiwan. Is attempting to、um, differentiate itself from from as being super different from 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 China as as an as an as an as an independent nation, right? And it's what what you、um, you see that that Taiwan is doing the exact opposite thing from what the other country is doing,、um, and I think this is some, something that that、uh, a lot of、um, Indigenous nations could be doing as well. You know, is is to like well, we are not 
the the similar than the, the political nations that that we're part of at, at this point uh so we are going to x y and z and i think that, i think this is a very good um example of of becoming part of the international society being part of, part of the international community as in contributing to 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 other peoples that are that are in need if you if you if you if your neighbor's house is on fire like you don't haggle over the price of a water hose you know you you just like all right if i can help i can i'll help if it's big or small and i think this is a super good example that you brought up um in terms of like what you can do but I will have to say that Taiwan is not perfect either because, you know, even though we send out all these supplies or, you know, this medical support, but still we don't, we, we still haven't adopted a refugee act that can really provide um, protection or at least temporary protection to the people in need. And also now we have this, uh, I think they, they adopted this um, uh urgent measurement that we can have for the Ukrainians who are in Taiwan, they can uh, extend their visa for 30 days, mm. but only 30 days. Right. After that, still, we don't know what will happen to them. So yeah, we try to do something good, but still there are something we should do. We, we could have done more and we haven't been able to uh, accomplish that. Well, at least you're doing something right. You know, it, it is yeah. like you're, you're trying. I think, I yeah. think it's, and when you're when you're trying, like there's nothing that you can be, can be blamed for. At least you tried. You tried to do something that's good. Um, so yeah, nobody's perfect. Um, uh, no country is perfect. You know, you can you can try to aspire to be it, but like nobody is at the, at this point. Um, something about diplomacy that I would like to bring up it was as well as let's. Um, I'm going to show this video in a bit of the UN Human Rights Council meeting that was held a couple of weeks ago. And where um, di diplomats and, and negotiators were actually walking out um, of when the Russian foreign minister, I believe, uh, addressed the Human Rights Council. So let's take a quick look at that um, at that video. UN has to take a very strong stance in defense of its own principles of the UN Charter because it what uh, Russia uh, did to to Ukraine is an attack on on the UN, uh, UN foundations, on the foundations of our cooperation. It's an attack on all 192, except Russia, uh, member states. Uh, one of the one to show with this, this video, this walkout has been dubbed by, by, by many news outlets as, as a great form of protest. And I understand that this is, that they have to signal your disagreement in some way. Uh, but I can also understand that some people see this as, well, these are diplomats and, and they should be considered of the fact that people from all over the world are watching and, and expect them to do their best to bring the world to peace and, and not do yeah, acts like, act like, like five-year-olds. And that they should ask themselves why people and why people are no longer trusting multilateralism and because of these things that, they, um, th that happen, uh, that, they, that they do. And... Some, something else that is, and I hope my, 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 my computer doesn't do crazy things as, um, as well after this, is, 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 another something, is another video clip that I'd like to uh, um, show you about the, uh, the President Biden. Will you be meeting with 
So the former clip was obviously from, from The Guardian and this one is CNBC. And you see that uh, President Biden is walking out um, of, of a meeting and somebody asked him like impromptu, like, well, um, is President Putin a war criminal? And at first he said no. And then he came back and he walked, out, walked away and then he came back like, well, what did you ask me again? Well, is President Putin a, a, a war criminal? Uh, yeah, he's he's a is a war criminal, and mm-hmm. I, like as a, as a political leader, um, yeah, you should be very careful of of saying things and not say things on a whim, especially especially when it says war criminals. Like it has serious comp- qualifications and implications based on international law, and 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 so the two two concerns I have with this remark is one is that is the one that I just shared with you. You know, it's like it's like the UN accusing other regimes of committing war crimes is a audacious form of hypocrisy like this us have done the same and the second is that how is that uh when you talk about negotiations when you talk about trying to persuade to a peaceful settlement how are you going to to persuade putin to the negotiations table and create discussions for peace digging in and labeling putin in a, as a war criminal only adds fuel to the situation is that what i would say it's almost like the us is hardening itself uh, hardening the situation and positioning itself in such a way that the only acceptable uh, outcome for the situation is the fall of Putin, and you know, and and here I am, here I am thinking that the peace, that peace as soon as possible, should we should be the goal, it should be the ultimate goal, but like, tum- uh, you know, like tumbling a, a sitting president is is. For, for and and one in regime, big regime change can take generations of, um, in in Russia, and so let's focus now on peaceful settlement. Let's focus now on like Russia leaving Ukraine, uh, not spiraling into a World War Three, and let's let's do that right now. And so that that's what I wanted to uh, show in terms of in terms of diplomacy. Mm. I think that's also, again, there must be political agenda behind that, because as I mentioned earlier, that this um, uh, reliance uh, of um, energy uh, energy supply between European countries and uh, Russia, that must get on the nerve of the U.S. So maybe the U.S. also trying to break this kind of close tie uh, with the I don't know with the with this war or you know with any kind of agenda they are trying to pursue with, and also with this pipeline that is built uh, from all the way from Russia to Germany as well. So there's a lot of I think there's a lot of agenda behind that, and there's never that easy as we can see from all this um, information we get from media. But uh, anyway, again. As we said earlier, that a war doesn't really happen overnight, and also that always involves different actors, and that will also make impact not only on the countries under fire, but also like different countries, even 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 like countries we think is far away from uh, the the countries in conflict. For example, like in Taiwan, <laughs> again, I have to brought the attention again to Taiwan, because I think for some of the some of you might read that as well. When the invasion happened, people were talking about, or like especially on uh, Twitter, I think there's a really high uh, uh, percentage of people they are tweeting or they're using the term that if it's going something similar will happen between between China and Taiwan, if China will also take this um, chance to invade Taiwan with armed force. 
And that really, well, I will have to say as people uh, living in Taiwan and especially as indigenous people in Taiwan, we do feel the threat and uh, we do it, it we we got nervous about that too we I, well at least myself or, and also some of my friends and uh, the Taiwanese government they also take some measurements to enhance our um uh military armed force uh we for example like the soldiers the military people they cannot get on uh their days off because of that they had to go on all different kind of um uh preparatory works because of this kind of uh, intense situation even though it's far away from us and a lot of um information were flying in for example that there was a, uh there was a news coverage about china was uh, planning to invade Taiwan this fall, and it was uh, it, it was with very great confidence it can take over Taiwan in the fall. And because of this invasion of Russia and this high uh, attention it got from the Western countries, so China decided to postpone this plan of invasion. We don't know if it's true, but this mm. is you know some leaking news, leaking um, information about that it was flying around, and that really get on the nerve of people in Taiwan, and of course, I think for other countries in this area are pay uh, are highly paying attention to the intention between China and Taiwan. But I think that's also for the time to for people to think, like all these kind of claims of like Russia claiming or trying to take over Ukraine. And also China keep claiming that Taiwan was part of China, which is not true. You know, all these kinds of um, um, claiming or this kind of uh, ambition they are showing is again, we have to think who are feeding this hunger of those superpowers to think they have the authority over other independent and sovereign countries, sovereign states. This is something we really have to think about. It's not just the issue between Russia and Ukraine. It's not only the issue between China and Taiwan. It's, I think I would say it's an issue internationally that people think should really think about and be cautious about. Mm. Yeah. Which is which is part of the this um, like the geopolitical impacts that we're, that we're uh, we're trying to talk about. It's and like you said, um, Jocelyn, this is the slide that you wanted to show about the um, uh, the this one, I believe. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, yes. Well, I think it's yeah. I just want to show that there has been a discussion not only for people in Taiwan but also people abroad, and also from this article we can see that for some people abroad they are also thinking about if there's something really happened. First, how can they get their family out from the island? And second, how can they come back to the island and defend the independence and also to resist the aggression of China if that really happened? Right. And this is deja vu from what we just read from Ukraine, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and there's there's what a lot of people um, make the comparison as well because yeah. um, if you, if you look at Russia and Ukraine, you cannot uh, neglect 
the uh, yeah the, the China Taiwan connection. And there's some people actually see 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 a see a, a parallel like Ukraine to Russia. What what uh, what Taiwan is is to is to China. Um, so um, I, I can I can very much uh, understand like the concerns that the Taiwanese people have with, with the situation as. Yeah, it's Russia leaning towards China, and and like yeah, how will that impact the livelihoods of indigenous peoples, not just in China but in Asia, uh, in in broader Asian Asian region. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, the, the... and also as uh, we got the information from the, our uh, Russian and Ukraine friend, or especially Russian, that a lot of uh, indigenous men and boys who are recruited to the army to the military, and that's the same thing. Well, well, not, not in the for the history for the past decades, a lot of indigenous men and boys were recruited to the army when it we when Taiwan was under the uh, colonial region of Japan. They recruited intentionally indigenous men to their military to fight in Second World War to fight a war that is not our own war, and then that become like a. a I don't know. It's like a common situation in Taiwan now. We do have a lot of indigenous brothers. They serve in the army, especially in all these special task force. That also means if there's really a war happen, a conflict happen, they will be sent to the first front mm. at the first uh, at, at the first time. Uh, not yeah. for the first time. I mean, for, for like, like immediately. Food, yeah. yeah, the yeah. cannon food. That's what yeah. the they are. Yeah. Mm. It's... um. Uh, it's when it comes to geopolitical impacts. Something that I would like to share as well is the, as what a lot of people are bringing up is that well, the the two wars like Ukraine is not the only war that's going on, but actually there's Yemen. There's there's a war in Yemen going on, uh, which is actually imposed by Saudi Arabia, and it's that's a huge humanitarian crisis that you don't know, don't hear about, and that is also like the the re, the main reason why we wanted to yeah focus on experience of of. of of, of indigenous peoples, not just in Ukraine, because everyone is focused on Ukraine right now. But how, what about the experience of indigenous peoples in in Russia? And if you look at broader context, what are the experience of indigenous peoples that are from Okinawa, Philippines, uh, uh, Maluku, everywhere, all around the world, that are living under an occupation or militarism or having to deal with 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 conflict? Like there's so many things that are ongoing that. Um, is not being shared as much as they need to be shared, and this uh, focus now on on Ukraine, and for obvious reasons, uh, which we'll not go into right now, but it's the the war on Yemen right now is not being as 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 projected as much within the media as it should be. Um, so I think the why I wanted to show this 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 slide actually, and is that. Um, Usually, when people point you to look to the left, something else is going on to the right, you know, and 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 uh, may maintain that high uh, this high level helicopter view and and try to keep tabs on whatever uh, is is going on. So that's what I wanted to 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 talk about. Um, the uh, yeah the and also like like this this slide shared uh, shared by uh, Democracy Now, a tale of two wars. Biden decries Russian atrocities in Ukraine while backing Saudi UAE war in Yemen. So it's it's something that that uh, people need to be uh, should be aware of. Exactly, and uh, I, that's why 
And then sometimes it's just sad that in a way, all the media coverage is also controlled by certain actors. And that really prevent us from getting the, the, the full picture of what is really going on of the world. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that's also the same thing with uh, the next segment we want to talk about with uh, Russophobia. Because, you know, like, we see a lot of this, these cases happening all around the world. People got refused to get into a restaurant or a restaurant run by Russians who were attacked. They were, you know, people throwing rocks or eggs to the restaurant or, you know, all these things happen or the professors kick out Russian students from the classroom. It's just, I just can't help but think about the same thing also happening to Asians. This COVID hate crimes against Asian um, in America and also in other uh, European con- in other countries that because of COVID nineteen people think those are the the the, the, the Asian brought the uh, this uh, pandemic to the rest of the world and uh, no 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 one wants re- no one really wants to get sick no one really wants to have this kind of um, crisis to the world and because it's also a risk to our our own health and our own life as well and uh, i would just want i just want to say that you know the first time i really encountered uh, racial discrimination when uh, was when i was in germany uh in, that was a long time ago in 2006 i was there as an exchange student and i was hit by a shopping cart uh run by a german old man and he was you know saying some really bad words on me. Uh, I didn't understand what was going on because I speak, at that time I spoke really bad German, so I didn't understand all these cursing words. But then my friend told me that uh, there was uh, like a a really negative um, phenomenon against Asian immigrants, especially Asian women at that time in Germany or in some of the European countries that they thought all these immigrants are stealing their jobs, they're stealing their economic opportunities, and they're stealing their men. Mm. And that's why like, I was somehow attacked uh, in the supermarket. And it's just... I. I don't know, like with this uh, coffee hate crimes against Asians around the world and also this um, Russophobia. Now we have, we can see, observe around the world. It's just sometimes we never really learn the lesson that we have from the Second World War with the hatred against different race and, you know, this Nazi, neo-Nazi, and we can see all these conservative uh, nationalist um power or influence is increasing in many countries do we really learn from the history or sometimes we're just repeating what had happened in the past Mm. and yeah that's something i really well i have no answer but it's really terrifying in a way yeah it is you know and there's there's uh you would expect that people in this day and age 2022 with access to internet and, and google is your friend um, and pe- people are, uh, yeah, like people should be should have the access to, to 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 a lot of information, and also like you would you would you would expect the people also have access to to some some uh, yeah 
ways of behaving in a way that you should behave and learning from um, yeah the the mistakes that we made in the past. This is a, um, a slide I wanted to show, and it's like uh, um, an article in a Dutch newspaper. And this is the only only the only uh, time in on my podcast that actually I, that, that that I'm actually I'm gonna flex that I know Dutch. Um, is uh, this particular article says that a um, a landlord in Amsterdam uh, he attempted to um, throw a Russian expat uh, out of his house on onto the streets just because this guy was Russian and this is what this is this is this is what Russian phobia is, is about so it's it's a xenophobic tendencies particularly focused on people that are from Russia. This, and we're not talking about Russian government uh, um, uh, uh, officials, but actually just regular people from Russia that are trying to make a living. That are, that's, that's, you know, and that's, and the, the craziest thing that, that, that was mind-boggling to me is that since the war, regular Russians, Russian people have been labeled radioactive. Uh, nobody wants them around anymore. Um, for example, through the, to this article, like throwing someone on the streets. I mean, these folks have not done nothing wrong other than to live somewhere with a roof over their head. The expat is working in Amsterdam, so he's pursuing so he's pursuing a life um, and is seeking fulfillment. So, like, it's it's people that are doing this. Like, shame on you, I would say, because because like these people have it hard enough. People, everyone is being affected by the war right now. Um, so, a little bit of compassion, a little bit of empathy. Um, is is uh, towards the people that are not just the people that are from re- Ukraine, but also people from from uh, from from Russia, not just regular people, but also indigenous peoples. You know, that are in Ukraine and indigenous people that are living in in, in Russia. Um, a little bit more understanding towards, and and I think in the next segment, when it comes to like indigenous peoples actually from the both countries, telling what it is, like you you'll definitely get a very good view of how they how they experience the support or lack thereof from the uh, indigenous people's movement um, on the situation um, in, in happening right now in Ukraine and Russia. I think as the war, the consequence is not only uh, bared by like, for example, the so-called victims, but also from the other side, because I think in the war, everyone involved or impacted or victims, especially in this situation, this is like a war of one man, but the whole generation or several generations of Russians, they had to carry this burden, they had to carry this crime. And with all this misunderstanding and this, I don't know, this false um, uh, image of them. Yeah, so I guess that's why we have in terms of context impact, it's quite heavy and a lot of information and and also, but I think this is important for people to think. And that's those, these are the some of the elements we want to bring to your attention. But of course, there are a lot of other aspects we can pay attention to or try to seek for information about. And uh, of course, for this uh, live stream, live streaming discussion the most important impacts or the most important focus we want to have we want to uh draw your attention to is about what is going on with the indigenous peoples in both countries so the experiences of indigenous peoples in ukraine and russia yeah um absolutely but if you're expecting to see our friends and colleagues from russia and ukraine to join the live stream um 
you're mistaken. We, we, we won't do that. Um, the security of our indigenous uh, friends from both countries is very important to us. And um, the people that are joining the, the conversation, the panel, um, and and, and every, everyone actually involved um, deems that the, the security and privacy of these people is paramount. Um, so given the current circumstances and fear for harass, harassment and intimidation are worse, we're not going to show them live. Exactly. But uh, alternatively, we have spoken to them and asked questions about their opinions and experiences via various ways. And uh, so we've made their uh, replies anonymous and uh, turned into slides to respect their right to privacy and security. So while still providing them with a platform and the ability to share their experiences, uh, we try to, you know, we, we are not going to show their details or anything that might reveal their identity. Absolutely not. Um, and we will do our best to give voice to the message that they want to convey. Um, and we asked some, some uh, uh, seven, six or seven questions, and we'll go through them um, so that you should, so you have an idea uh, what uh, what their views are on this one. So the first question that we asked them is, "What can you tell us about the situation on the ground?" So we got this one uh, reply: "War is terrible. War cannot be justified." We do not know the fullness of what is happening, but we know for sure that many people are dying. Another response that we got was, it is difficult to say, because around me, I have no one from indigenous peoples in my district. As for me and my family, we're trying to live ordinary, keep working, make a reservation to food, clothes, medications, because of higher prices, and it's grown every week or two. Okay, this is a long one, but I think it's very important and very it's strong. Yeah, so yeah. in Russia, division and misunderstanding in the society have grown significantly. There is a lot of hate speech and bullying on the social media. Family members argue. The society is pretty dis, uh, desperate. Depressed. No, depressed. Depressed. Sorry. Depressed and disoriented. Many people have relatives in Ukraine and feel a lot of sympathy for the Ukrainian people, but they do not express this sympathy in public as they are afraid of being persecuted. The legislation has changed and does not allow for supplying any aid to Ukraine or expressing views against the war or even using the term war instead of special military operation. The independent media is shut down and many social media, including Instagram and Facebook, are banned. Propaganda is coming from both sides and there is a lack of reliable re uh, information about the happenings. The economic situation because of Western sanctions and voluntary withdrawal of Western companies from the Russian market is worsening. Many people lose their jobs and incomes. Inflation is high and some goods and groceries are no longer available. Yeah, so so you see that, that the, the sanctions that are happening right now, they're hitting the, the Russian people the hardest. They're not hitting the, the, the government the hardest, but the people are hitting the hardest. So the next question that we asked was like, how are you doing right now? I'm not okay. Difficult to describe, very pessimistic. Another one said, now the circumstances are such that in Russia, the indigenous peoples are free to express their point of view. 
because it's very dangerous, there are only few who are not silent and go out to protest. The other response is, um, I'm okay, but concerned. Lawyers are not allowed during searches and arrests. And arrest. Journalists are not allowed to film. Journalists who try to do so are prosecuted in turn. Lawyers are obstructed. They are not told where the detainees are. Denied visit. Another question, the, the following question that we asked is, what would be the biggest reason for you to see her go? Obviously, here you, you saw people that are fleeing country, um, but you can also imagine some people are staying in, in country. And these are the three responses that, that we, that we uh, brought up for you. The biggest reason to stay is the land, the native land where I was born and raised. The biggest reason to live is freedom, freedom of thought, freedom of speech, freedom of movement. I decided to stay. I have kids, I have parents, and they all would be probably would be probably think I left them in a difficult moment. I decided that I should be with them, explain to my kids what is going on, and support them in many ways. I also think that while saying I can help indigenous communities in Russia in this difficult situation. The other response is that um, after the beginning of the war, that has been impossible even physically. Crimea is a peninsula. Seaways are blocked totally. To pass the Ukraine by dry land is impossible. To go to Russian mainland has no sense because there is not safe place to me and my family, including children, and at the same time to go from Russia abroad is legally impossible. Because firstly, we need to get so-called passports for abroad from Russian authorities for all members of my family, which is very doubtful, and to have the money for the travel. Finally, there is not transportation between Russia and other worlds mostly. One other, other question that we asked was, are indigenous peoples more vulnerable than others? This reply we got is, um, economically speaking, definitely. Also, indigenous people's lives in some areas depends a lot on relations with government. So it might have consequences to openly disagree with it on some things, unfortunately. Indigenous peoples are already suffering from violations of their rights. And in conflict situations, this negative impact increases. Access to defend access to real information, access to justice, the ability to defend their rights, all this and much more indigenous peoples lose during such international conflicts. Economically, indigenous peoples will suffer greatly and are already beginning to suffer, but their self-government will also suffer. Development will stop. For example, my people developed very strongly only thanks to international cooperation, including political support. Now that Russia can ignore international law, my people will lose their former security and the voice of the indigenous peoples will become even weaker. The other question that we asked was, are indigenous peoples deliberately being attacked? Indigenous peoples are more likely to be attacked, criminalized, killed than others. All sorts of provocations are on the rise. Indigenous women and children are more vulnerable to such conditions. Indigenous military are among the first to be sent to military operations. Right. Cannon food, right? 
the war can move to the territory of Crimea if Ukraine will take the Ukraine will take the advantage. The war activities may directly touch Crimean Tatars civilians, or at, again may be used for repressions, deportations, or programs. There are 300 compact settlements purely Crimean Tatars. In that case, Russian troops will very probably will try to use Crimean Tatar settlements as a base for the activity, using them as shield. If they do not support the government action, they might and will be prosecuted. There will be less and less opportunities for defense. As Russia quit the European Council of Human Rights, people cannot appeal there after exhausting the domestic mechanisms. So, um, we are asked all these questions. So, we asked them, what can we do for you? So, what can indigenous peoples around the world do to help you? This is what they said. Continue to keep in touch with the indigenous peoples of Ukraine and Russia. It is very important to convey real information about what is happening, gathering information on how to help indigenous human rights defenders. Indigenous thoughts are very strong. Pray for indigenous brothers and sisters. Perform spiritual ceremonies and rituals. Pray for world peace. Another response that we got was, I do not see a huge international support from indigenous peoples all over the countries. They know that many indigenous peoples from Russia support a Nazi regime, support war, but the international group says nothing. They agree to work with those who are under the flags of war. Do they still think that all indigenous peoples in Russia are against war? I do not think so. There are no common and direct words, or I haven't seen them. Maybe for someone it is not their problem, and they are trying to take a moment to understand but I thought that there are more solidarity in the indigenous people's movement. Another re uh, response. Indigenous peoples can provide moral support to their brothers and sisters in Russia. And then the, the, another question was, is there anything else that the indigenous movement, indigenous movement needs to know? Well, I think this one is also a very, import, uh, very important message. Just that not everything that is spread on the social media is right. Propaganda is everywhere. We need to try to make our judgment with a calm head basing on reliable information coming from people we trust. The news that all Russian indigenous peoples and their organizations support the war are not true. Some organizations were asked to support and their leadership did but it does not mean every ordinary community member supports the war. Another response was, remember about indigenous peoples from both countries. Government not always equals people. Now we can see how some organizations of indigenous peoples in Russia support the aggression of Russia. They may have different reasons for this, pressure, threats, or so they were uh, processed by propaganda and they are cautiously mistaken. But the indigenous peoples of the world should know that there are many other indigenous organizations in Russia that are against the war, who believe that there is no way to justify military action. Obviously, um, we have received a quite a number of responses uh, uh, and we cannot show every one of them. We'll try to um, post them somewhere so you have an idea of what's going on uh, but so you have a taste of this is what we what we what we, um, what we just now shared so you have a taste of what how 
what the, the thoughts are of our indigenous relations from Russia and Ukraine. Some collectors as well have, have responded as well to the state, uh, to the situation, um, which um, the documents are readily available. Um, a statement of the International Committee uh, of Indigenous Peoples of Russia issued mm -hmm. a very important one, uh, which I, I would highly recommend people to watch, to, sorry, read and share and disseminate amongst your friends. And also the International Indian Treaty Council also issued a statement uh, in relation to the to this uh, the developing situation in in Ukraine, um, so that is uh, yeah that is um, mostly about the um, experiences of Indian peoples from Russia and Ukraine. Yeah, and I think now we can invite our our guests to join our discussion now. So we have um, we have as I mentioned earlier we have German we have Mia. Una and uh, and Dai from uh, different countries with different kind of experiences regarding conflicts, war, and uh, uh, militarization, and also like the impact, post-war impacts that is still really affecting people's ordinary, ordinary people's daily lives. No. Sorry, that, that that's my cue. <laughs> uh, apologize. Um, yeah, it's it's. Um, we were thinking about about. Um, yeah, what are everyone? Feel free to, to to share like your first thoughts, how it relates to your situation, or uh, what comes in, pops into mind when you when you hear this. Um, their experiences of Indigenous peoples, but also the context and everything else. Um, Let's, Damon. Let's let's start with you. Um, any reflections of um, of uh, of what we just now shared? Yeah, just um, a couple things off uh, off the top of my head. Uh, propaganda. We all have to remember that all governments use propaganda. The only difference is whether the propaganda is convincing or unconvincing. Uh, for example, the propaganda trend right now is that you know, Russia is evil, everything they do is evil, and they're a threat to everybody. So, you know, let's pile on them. They're, they're devils. And the USA is the most angelic, benign, freedom-loving defender of, uh, you know, liberty and justice for all, you know, that ever existed. But, you know, historical facts are, are not presented. That just shows that, because in fact, in the almost 250 years the USA has existed, they have been engaged in more wars internally and externally than any other country in, on earth during that same period of time. But the Western propaganda is so convincing that the world has that impression that, you know, this is the greatest country on earth. And if they're doing something, there has to be a, a right reason to justify it. So we should, um, we should err on the side of caution and more trust what the Americans tell us. Um, so that that's the difference where the Russian propaganda is not very convincing. Um, and so as well as RT and other uh, entities being shut down, you know, we're not getting the full picture, but we all know too that it was absolutely illegal and wrong for Russia to invade Ukraine. There's no uh, excuse or justification for that. But as everyone has said before, there are mitigating factors that led us to what we are experiencing today. The U.S. did promise Ukraine, give up your nuclear weapons and we'll protect you. They did promise Russia, no, NATO will not expand beyond Germany to the east. And so there are many things um, that they themselves broke their word 
and yet they you know to have um, clean hands and you know re remove themselves from any kind of um, culpability in what we're seeing today. Um, for example, you know everybody was incensed when um, when Russia said we will not allow any weapons of mass destruction to be based in Ukraine. You know that's on our borders. We will never tolerate it. But forgetting the USA did the same thing. Cuba is also a sovereign country. When they had Russian missiles based in their country, they could have used the excuse that, yeah, we are a sovereign nation. You can't tell us who to ally with. And if we want to have a military agreement with Russia, that's our right. It is their right. But the USA still threatened nuclear war if those missiles were not removed because it was 100 miles off of the USA's shores. So why then does Russia, why is it illegal for Russia to say the same thing with having, they don't want NATO to base any nuclear missiles in Ukraine, which is literally on their border. So I see both countries were legally correct in taking a stand that you know, threats so close to their home shores will not be tolerated. But yet when the West does it, that's okay. But if Russia or anybody else does it, or oh, they're, they're wicked, evil countries that are not respecting the sovereign rights of other nations. You, know, you can't have it both ways. It's either one standard for everybody or no standard for anybody. Another thing too that, um, which oh, I'm going to tell you now for the first time, I've been in contact with officials in the Ukrainian government and letting them know that I do have a lot of um, journalistic contacts here in the 15-member CARICOM block of countries that are willing to carry stories about the crisis in Ukraine. But I, you know, that was all well and good. Everybody was, yes, that's great. We have really no. Um, no voice in the English-speaking Caribbean, you would be welcome. But then when I specify that, well, particularly I want to cover what's going on from the indigenous Ukrainian perspective, you know, because that voice is not being heard in international media. We want to get in the state actors' propaganda. Then all of a sudden, my offer was not so attractive. And, you know, they were no longer interested in an indigenous journalists coming to Ukraine to, to broadcast the indigenous perspective of what's going on. So, but that on the surface that may have, you know, be seem surprising and contradictory from the, the image that we're getting. But in reality, the neither the Ukrainians nor the Russians have ever truly been pro-indigenous rights or indigenous peoples. They always tend to view the indigenous peoples with like um, some suspicion. Uh, the, the prevailing view among most Slavic peoples is that, for example, like the Crimean Tatars, oh, those are not Slavic brothers. They are Turkic peoples. You know, they're Muslims. They're not Christians like us. So they're historical enemies. We can't really trust them. So when the Soviet Union was persecuting the indigenous peoples in Ukraine, the non-indigenous Ukrainian majority sort of stood on the sidelines and observed. And not our problem. Why should we get involved? Um, so now at uh, Russia is, is, has turned on them. Their Slavic brothers have turned on them. You know, now they're, you know, they're wanting solidarity and you know, everybody should stand with us. You know, but they themselves sort of grudgingly were supporting small incremental steps towards indigenous rights in, in Ukraine. But they do absolutely no side supported their international legal right for autonomy within that country as indigenous peoples. So we have to, and then another thing too that we're not um, taking into consideration that I hear a lot of people rejoicing when they're seeing those Russian soldiers getting killed by Ukrainian defenders. I mean, if I was in Ukraine and, and my country was invaded, yes, I would 
be killing the invaders too. But we're not realizing that among those conscripts that are being killed, um, these are young lads who they have no choice. They're not volunteered members of the Soviet military. They were forced to join the Russian army. So they don't want to be there. They don't want to be fighting a stupid war, but they have to be there, and they're the ones getting slaughtered. So I can't personally feel any kind of joy or satisfaction every time you see these war porn videos of these young men getting obliterated. Among them, too, we're forgetting that the Russians are taking young Tartar men, indigenous Ukrainians, putting them into uniforms and sending them to the front. I mean, in their minds, they're just getting rid of more you know, undesirables in the society, so they don't care. But the Ukrainian defenders may or may not know that you know the, the case of the young men that they're killing, they don't want to be there, so obviously their morale is very low. Um, it would be much better if they could try to capture as many as possible instead of um, slaughter them. The only Russian uh, troops in Ukraine that actually want to be there are the few special forces like the Spetsnaz and the infiltrators, the saboteurs that are being found in the cities in very low numbers. And the special troops are trying to take, um, like the, undertake the assassination attempts on, on Zelensky and so on. But you're talking about 1% of the Russian forces in this conflict. 99% of those getting killed are literally innocent. They didn't want to be part of it, but they were forced to. So, you know, it's it's all well and good to see it as a black and white issue and it's the good guys versus the bad guys, but it is never that simple. There are so many nuances and intricacies to a conflict that the average person who thinks from an emotional level instead of a logical level doesn't take into consideration. The point that you guys brought up there about the walkout, to the average emotional thinking person, yeah, yes, show solidarity, that was great. But logically, how can you claim to want to negotiate a peace if you don't even want to hear what the other side has to say? So that walkout was very childish and undiplomatic. But a logical mind will see it that way, but an emotional mind you know, thought that it was something great. Uh, you, you, so that, I mean, that that's the problem. I mean, yes, every human being, I think, or most human beings, in our hearts are against war but with the use of propaganda also most human beings can be convinced in their mind to support a war with the selective presentation of facts so i mean when you see people in russia who were towing the government line there's a lot of fear involved in that as well uh, you know it's not um the one um, good thing about the west is we can you know, peacefully dissent and disagree with whatever the state is doing Obviously, our, our fellow human brothers and sisters in Russia cannot do that. They don't have that, that privilege. So we cannot um, you know, judge them all with a broad brush of condemnation as being warmongers or whatever. They, the facts that they are being presented with has led them to the conclusion that what their government is doing is right. Um, you know, we, we are seeing the other side of the story. So yeah. uh, we should t always take that into consideration as well. I think that's, yeah, thank you, Damon, for bringing that up because it's a very important reminder to all of us as well. Of course, we come to an uh, emotional uh, response at the first sight when we got all this information, but then we really have to think critically also to really reflect on ourselves or our experiences, how we see all these things. But I will say that what you describe about what has, what's going on in Russia and Ukraine now, it's also a deja vu for, for that because... 
for more than almost eight years ago, or more than eight years ago, this is exactly what happened in Okinawa. That's the right. Okinawa we call it today. The people in Okinawa they were sacrificing for a war that they didn't start, but mm. they are also targeting as criminals in a way because at that time or until now they are under the Japanese.、Um, I will use the word colonization. So maybe Dai, can you share the, your experiences and also your opinions on this? Sure. Thank you, Jocelyn, and thank you、uh, for、uh, having us with you guys tonight.、Um, the messages, the answers from、uh, Russian and Ukraine IPs. And it's just people's were very strong, and I actually like felt the same, exact the same with them because they're talking about they don't want to、um, leave from their land because they have this strong connection, but at the same time, they need to leave their land if they want the freedom. It's like the exact the same even now and today. In Okinawa, people from Luchu, Luchu people, didn't even want to start any war, any battle. But then, our na- nation, Japan, started, and they used our land as the battlefield. And we did not, we could not, we did not have any choice. We're just running around, and those. Wound caused to our elders never be unhealed,、uh, never be healed, and it's even passed down to our generation, maybe next generations too. And we lost our land; it's land grabbed. Not only like our lands were fired, flattened, nothing to like. Lost the power to produce stuff, but they still stole our land to to use their military bases. Like our people were killed, wounded by the war, but they're using our land to create or to continue or to sustain the battles around the world and next to us. And every day, every night, we see those airplanes going in and out. We don't have any peace moment, and they even contaminate our water, which is essential. No need to mention. And even though we do the uh, referendum, uh, they don't listen. We don't have any freedom. We don't have self determination rights. And those seventy、uh, years, more than seventy-seven years, we lost our own education, right to educate our own people, and we were banned our language, and we lost our language, so we lose our food, we lose our culture, we we are losing our rituals as well. That would cause we lose our identity. A lot of people now, they don't recognize ourselves as Luchu anymore. They just believe that we're Japanese, 
without a doubt. And because of all these, they changed our industry. They changed our islands into military and also tourism. So, like, we, we don't have the right to continue the lives that our ancestors did. So people start to think Tokyo is the best or outside of Okinawa is the best. And then we are suffering from youth migration as well. And then when we talk about peace, we, when we talk about sovereignty, we start to face fragmentation, like division among us. And we start to hate each other. And which is not, this is not something we started, we initiated. We didn't even like think about it. It was brought by other people and it's still killing us. So by listening, understanding the, to the answers you, uh, you questioned from Rus Russia and Ukraine indigenous peoples, like I sincerely felt them. So we really need to stop this. Yeah, I was just as we mentioned that when the war happened, the aftermath is that you can really not, you can you can't really imagine how many generations were still suffering from that. And if you have chance to visit Okinawa now, you can see all these military bases everywhere and all these fences and also the blocking from people to to access their own land and even to access their own. Um, uh, burial land and sacred land, sacred yeah. site. It's just, I don't know, for us, it's, you, you can, it's hard to describe how it is to see this, we think it's history, but it never really passed. Yeah. And uh, I would say that with this kind of military um, basis or militarization, Mia, maybe can you share your uh, your experiences as in the Philippines, we know this is also a very um, pressing issue that all this armed force that is used by the government to oppress indigenous peoples, especially regarding development project that indigenous peoples are protesting against. So what is your experiences and what's your view on that? Um, uh, uh... Dai's uh, statement actually made me feel very emotional. Sorry, because <laughs> uh, okay, um, wait. So basically, we live in a very small town, um, and uh, we've been independent for so long. Like uh, as indigenous people uh, in the Philippines, it's like we're mostly regarded or mostly ignored. You know, uh, we're mostly ignored and like uh, treated as uh, second-class citizens, if I can say that, because with the basic services are often withheld uh, to the indigenous peoples. And then um, now we are in danger of losing our lands. We are in danger of losing our way of life because of developmental aggression. Okay, uh, we live in, uh, in the mountains of Cordillera, which is very rich uh, in nature. And we have been dependent to nature since time immemorial. And now, uh, they are planning to build uh, not one, but rather nine mega dams in our place, in our very small town, okay? 
two of which, two of the largest one will directly affect 18,000 people of our very small town. And our very small town contains the Isnag people, 90% of the Isnag indigenous community uh, from Apayao, from the province of Apayao are contained in Kabugao, 90% of them. So if we're going to lose these lands, lose the burial grounds of our people, uh, lose our rivers, okay, what will happen? to us we will lose our identity we will lose our very lives we will lose the sacred uh, burial grounds of our ancestors so this is uh this has been a fight that has been going on for the longest time uh, a lot of uh, for years for decades you know uh, there have been lots of proposals for mega dams to be built in the Paya river and uh, the community has always strongly opposed this so we have always strongly opposed this. But lately, uh, this uh, latest project that was uh, started with the build, build, build project of the current administration, uh, the National uh, Commissions for Indigenous Peoples, which are supposed to safeguard the rights of the indigenous peoples, are now the ones uh, pushing very hard for this project to push through, despite a strong opposition from the people. Uh, so right now, we are uh, the community is bitterly divided. We are locked in a war between yes to them and no to them. So the, the majority of the opposing people are uh, are subjected to threats, to abuses, you know, uh, 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 community assemblies which are supposed to be public are often, you know, shadowed by fear and tension because uh, full battle uh, military officers or policemen in full battle gears are guarding the place and you know the indigenous people are not allowed to enter the premises you know <laughs> like we're supposed to vote for this because we decided as a community in 2017 to make this as a collective agreement between it should be a collective decision by the whole community but instead they started handpicking elders to decide for us and when the community tried to assert their rights when we tried to uh, talk with them and we tried to make a uh, uh, consent when we tried to make letters when we tried to protest you know they they handpicked their own elders and then they just railroaded through the fpic process and and the people who were strongly opposed to this uh, building of the dams because you know we are going to lose everything that identifies us as isnag uh, were often you know ignored or rather they can be uh, some of our members were subjected to violence as well and there are verbal abuses and and the worst of it is the red tagging you know in the philippines when you are red tagged when they accuse you of being a communist or a leftist you are subjected to harassment you know you can be subjected to arrest you can even be killed and are you know who are uh who are uh, uh who are land defenders who are protesting this so if they will tell you you are a, you're a leftist you're a communist you're a member of the rebel group if immediately you lose your credibility and people are afraid to speak up because of this because if a person is in authority is the first one to talk to you that you are you know uh, you don't have any opinion anymore because you are a member of a rebel group so it's it creates a fear and discord in the community and the one thing also that is really make uh, leaving the community very much divided is that they presented this mega dam store to us as something that is uh, that will bring us development that will give progress to our small town and you know 
after withholding even the basic services from our small town now they're presenting this as our savior you know it's like it's either you give us our uh, you give up your lands and we will give you a better life and so some people of course they are we're tired of course we're tired of poverty we're tired of living in the dredge of humanity we wanted this too we want this development but when we see in exchange to what i mean like we die we're going to lose our language. We're going to lose our very identity. And you know, the Isnag people, <laughs> we live in a very small community that we don't have any other snug communities outside of this small town. So we are endangered of being wiped out. You know, we're going to forget everything that makes us us, that makes us Isnag people. So this is what happens, what's happening around the world. I think it's it resonates with me particularly because I can feel the vulnerability of the indigenous peoples. Like uh, they will hold to us the basic services and then they will leave us with this choice. You can give up your land or else you'll stay poor forever. Or, so it's a very, very, uh, right now, uh, actually the two dams, the two mega dams are already on the final stages of negotiation. Actually, uh, they have already issued to them the certificate of precondition for it to be built. Despite very strong opposition, we're still very much fighting. We're still very much on the ground fighting for it, but uh, it could get, <laughs> we, we, we want to remain hopeful. You know, we want to remain hopeful that even with this channel, with this international community who are listening to us, that maybe uh, before, uh, maybe we we might have a fighting chance if people will be more aware of the plight of of my people so hopefully uh, through this maybe we can uh, bring more awareness that uh, yeah uh, the indigenous peoples are very very vulnerable to developmental aggression to wars and, uh, and to everything else and we appeal to the international community to to help us be heard to help us be uh, to help us so that our rights will you know be upheld in our especially in in indigenous people's lands thank you thank you That's i just want to add some point that well just one one point that it, actually all this stem project is like all over all the cordillera region and i do have friend who was shot because he was uh in a protest against that and uh, we also need to remember that behind this project who are the investors or who provide the money to all these projects and this again bring us back to the discussion about these superpowers because you know a lot of these people or this country behind those projects are the powers or are the countries we thought they are upholding the value of human rights and outside their territory they are investing in projects that is seriously violating people's rights. So yeah, I, I just want to add that point to this. Thank you, mm. Mia. And and particularly something that Mia that you raised in terms of like these hydropower, um, um, what you call it, uh, projects. Something Electric that, power plants. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's what in the, what what many of these what in these peoples have been able and which might help your case actually is that um, when, when under this new sustainable development mechanism that has been created is that now it has to 
um, respected right, human rights uh, and the rights of indigenous peoples um, that we've been able to secure last November in Glasgow um, as a as a uh, as a as a as a guideline. Uh, like it has to respect the rights of indigenous peoples and and also when it comes to when it, when they're going to design these activities that they uh, that you mentioned it free power from consent you know you need, needs to be respected yeah. uh, before you even start to build anything but but that you have to uh, um, respect the, the right of uh, right of indigenous peoples it's um the, the the sad thing is that what we see right now is that the the uh these nine in 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 the korea region is 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 not an incident and you see it all you see it all over the world and they're popping up like mushrooms all over the world and and like like Johnson said follow the money if you follow the money like you know like who, who who's funding it um and most in most cases um yeah we do try to keep governments in in, in um accountable to, to human rights but it is actually the the quasi governments it is the 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 uh the actually the the, the, the corporations actually that that have so 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 much influence in, in, in everything and that is that's the the the, the dangerous part of it because it's something that you can can touch government you can touch you know you can really like how to hold them accountable but in terms of the quasi governments in terms of the, the corporations it's, it's much more difficult meaning that they can also use or, or uh, bribe in many cases um, the local governments, uh, in terms of using their, their their powers to in in their to their advantage, um, and, and the powers that, for example, is, is using the military police, like you, using that to you to your to advance your own ideas, to advance your own causes. Um, uh, Huna, let, let me let me let me segue to you on on, on this is. Uh, because you said something about um, about about military police being involved in 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 some some conflicts in uh, that you experienced, can you explain about what 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 happened and what the role was of the military police? Okay, thank you so much. It's so deep when I hear this uh, conversation. So, um, yeah, it's happened here now in Maluku. It's also in my uh, area, uh, in Naulu uh, area, my tribe. And I can see how the, uh, like the military or the police just go through or, um, yeah, between uh, one village and another village. And they, um, what to put, but it's kind of like a politic there and also, um, they want hide the uh, like uh, um, what they said the the leader or somebody had a power here in the area that make they uh, talking about the corruption or something like that steal something and they will come between uh, they know that. Uh, uh, some uh, little problem like a land problem or uh, maybe just youth or something like that and then the military or the police uh, suddenly they are there I don't know how they know about the problem but we know that there's somebody something behind all things like that but one thing that I see 
from the conflict that we passed through in my village, like the police or the military, like they they don't care about um, the conflict between uh, one village and the other. Like from my my tribe, my peoples, they went to the police office, they report what happened there. But then like they are just, ah, it's just small things. Like they told us like that, just going back would be okay. So for us, uh, minority, I mean, like we are just small villages. We are just, we, we just, just uh, can just, uh, yeah, we know the system, like we have to, uh, honor the the leader, the government, or anybody that had a power here. So we just follow what they said. When our leader, like uh, the leader from the village, went to the police office and then they report what happened in the village. When he got the message that going back, he just stay there, not doing anything, and they just waiting for attack from other village to yeah and we cannot run away that is uh our <laughs> words we cannot run away from our land let's fight to keep our land that this uh Nolu people There's some area that's happened right now what i see is the same problem the police the uh, military they like they don't care People's report got report for uh, maybe uh, uh, two hours before the big uh, people's coming to attack them. They never do anything, and then suddenly the next day they want sent like a hundred or more than a military to the the place, but the 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 villages are already run down. It's already gone. People's already run away to the, the jungle. And people got killed. So it's kind of like, I don't know, the politics is crazy here right now. And it is, ah, I don't want to talking about this because um, I'm in deep uh, depression because of the uh, next Monday, I have a, a demonstration about this problem with the government. And it's kind of like go up to my, it's, it, I don't want to talk about that. So I'm sorry, but it's kind of like I'm feeling it. <laughs> it's politics is killing our, uh, uh, what, life. Like our people is really afraid to do anything. Even they so see the police in the village, they run away. They cannot, they don't want to be in the village. They run away to the, the jungle, the, and then they waiting till nighttime coming back. So no peace. That is what happened right now here. And um, I don't want to talking about the long, long time ago, maybe uh, 15 years ago in 1999. It's more than what I experienced that because I live here and I go through all this. And we are still, like, when we talk to 
and we have to be careful with what we think, with what we talk, that this, because we don't want to go back to the conflict 1999. So it's happened right now. We just want people to stay still and then just let's do peace in Maluku, bring him back. That is what we're going through now. But right now we are in, like, don't do anything. Just give it back to uh, the decision maker, like the government as a the, uh, the leader here, to take care of all this, how they take care of the peoples in uh, their conflict area. So, like, like, like me, I'm my 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 peoples lose their. Uh, their uh, love trees, their coconut trees, and they live their life from there, and they lose everything. But the government is just promised to pay them back, but till now they never do. And so, what what we'll do? We want to fight with them, then you got killed, or you got catch them and put it in the jail. So that has happened, right? So me right now, I'm trying to just carefully what I'm saying, but that is what I feel because the conflict is in my, my area, in my villages. It's complicated. <laughs> it's, it's really complicated here. And with the politics coming soon in 2024, Next, <laughs> and then uh, the um, what's called um, the leader is not um, opened up or things like that. Anybody wants to be a leader, but they not. So that is what uh, I feel. Thank you so much. I uh, appreciate it, Huna. Um, Damon, I, I, you, you want to jump in on this? You know, something you wanted to say? Hey, um, <clears throat> not on what we just covered specifically, but just to use an example, like with the Yazidi indigenous people in, in northern Iraq. Um, now, the, going back a little further than that, the IDDO, as you know, Ghazali, um, we created this NGO, Indigenous Democracy Defense Organization, in 2014, when the Russians invaded and annexed Crimea, um, and we felt we felt helpless um, because we have indigenous colleagues that were trained at the UN from the Forum on Indigenous Issues, as we were. Um, I myself trained in 2007 and 8 with your mom, um, the Liberation Hero Palpina. Uh, so when our colleagues get caught behind Russian lines and and is the first thing we could do was um, use the pen and make news articles about it to highlight the the plight from the indigenous perspective. But we also wanted to do more than that, and you know we we had come up with plans. I don't know if you you probably recall, Gazali, we were fundraising and um, ready to send satellite phones behind enemy lines so that the truth, the flow of the truth, could keep um, coming out from our colleagues there. So that was the whole. Um, genesis of, of the IDDO, but now um, fast forwarding a little more to the future, 
2014, that was also the same year that the genocide of the Yazidi people in northern Iraq started. Uh, Western media did a good job of convincing us that it was a isolated ISIS, Islamic terrorist event. And, you know, it was typical. It's us versus them. There's a bad guy out there we have to deal with. But in dealing with the Yazidi people directly, um, their former leader, spiritual leader, the Baba Sheikh Dawood, who has since passed away, um, I think last year he died. They appointed me in 2017. Uh, you were you were at the UN with me too at the same time, Ghazali, as their ambassador at large to represent their cases at the, the Permanent Forum for Indigenous Issues. And so I took that role seriously and I've been trying to help them ever since. Uh, we recently uh, opened last year a diplomatic mission here in the Caribbean to keep pushing their issues because they, the governments in Iraq have gone back and forth between um, ones under American control versus ones under Iranian control. And despite you know, our perception, Western perception of Iran as being uh, one of the bad guys out there, actually Iran has been one of the best friends for the Yazidi people in northern Iraq. I helped them write a constitution for the autonomous um, region that they were still trying to found. Um, the pro-Iran government that was in power when we started was very supportive, and we had several meetings with them. Uh, but then, the, because the Kurds, Kurdistan in the north, they already have an autonomous region recognized by you know, everyone in the world. But they are under, um, basically, Barzani and his regime are under CIA control. Uh, and they're very hostile to the Yazidis. They've been annexing Yazidi territory and taking the oil wealth from Yazidi lands and selling it through the Kurdistan regional government back to the West. Uh, those sorts of things are not mentioned in Western media because uh, we want to portray, you know, the West are the good guys and everyone else is evil. Um, even ISIS, uh, I have received videos from Yazidis showing U.S. troops shaking the hands of ISIS members who are passing American checkpoints and going on to do whatever evils they went to commit. Um, so there's a lot of, of propaganda uh, in the West. And I don't know, we don't realize that, isn't it curious that ISIS, um, supposed to be Islamic terrorists, but yet they only seem to be attacking countries that are not um, under the control or supportive of Western regimes. They have not once launched a single attack on Israel now, from what I know, Israel is the number one target of true Islamic terrorists. You know, they don't hate anybody more than desiring a state. So why is it that ISIS is supposed to be this kind of entity that, you know, the image we are being given, yet they're not attacking any Israeli targets? On the contrary, they're attacking all the targets that the West is against, Syria, Libya, you know, you name it, destabilizing Iraq. So it's that in itself is another classic propaganda that most in the West genuinely believe the, the story we're getting at ISIS. We're getting back to the Yazidi people. Um, the with the last meeting when the when the American backed regime took over in Iraq, uh, previous governments because governments have changed about ten times in the last fifteen years. All of a sudden, the negotiations for indigenous rights, you know, were turned off. They were hostile. The things got very sinister. They invited two of the Yazidi leaders to. Uh, a meeting in Baghdad, and on the way, the Kurdish assassins murdered them on the highway, um, basically turned their car to Swiss cheese. And so then they thought, when that regime was in power, they thought that, that I was still in Iraq, and they were 
but I had already left. Regimes changed, the pro-Iranian government came into power and they assumed that I had been uh, arrested. The first thing they tried to do was ask, where's um, where's Mr. Corey? Which jail is he being held so we can have him released? I was already out of Iraq safely though. So that was not the issue, but just showing you that Obama was in power at the time. When the Yazidi genocide happened, the Kurdish forces that were backed by the CIA, they withdrew from the Yazidi areas and stood miles away observing the slaughter of the Yazidi people by ISIS forces. The Iranian government, the same General Soleimani that's, that we believe is, is this great devil that Trump had illegally murdered by a drone assassination. Within eight days, he sent Islamic uh, Revolutionary Guard forces to the northern Iraq Yazidi areas and actually they defeated ISIS and pushed ISIS out. Obama took eight months to start sending American aid to the same people. So whereas, you know, what the Western media has given us the impression that, you know, Iran and those, you know, their axis of evil, as, as Bush famously said, and the America is doing everything to help the innocent. But it, in reality, it's not really the case. There's, there's so, so much skullduggery going on in the world that we really, we should never believe the propaganda of one side or the other because the truth is usually always somewhere in the middle. In the middle. And if we forget that, then we're easily deceived by by one major player or the other. And as Josh said, there is a great uh, shadow government behind the scenes, the, the globalist elites, I would say, the super wealthy, who have a far bigger hand in the affairs of the world than we want to believe or you know, assume to be possible. Just look at the, the Western media machine. There's so, so much conformity there because basically there are six billionaires who own the majority of the Western print, electronic, and, and visual media houses that exist. So it's not very difficult for, for things to be coordinated so that you'll get the same narrative peddled on a hundred different platforms. But the saturation of that gives the average person the impression that, oh, well, if these hundred different media outlets are saying this, it must be true. All these people can't be, you know, they can't all have false information, but not realizing that the few super rich control the whole show. The same thing, the, what was really going on in northern Iraq with the, the Yazidis sit on a lot of untapped oil wealth and they wanted to run a pipeline through their lands, but without giving the indigenous peoples, without getting their permission or consent or giving them any sort of financial benefit because the Kurds were willing to sell it dirt cheap. So you had France, UK, everybody was involved in turning a blind eye and in some cases actually accidentally dropping arms and supplies on the ISIS control areas, which they then used to slaughter these Yazidi indigenous people. So a lot of what we see in the media is, it's outright deception and illusion. And so we have to take all these reports really with a, with a grain of salt and the, the narrative that the major players want to peddle and it really cannot be trusted. Uh, even for example, the the belligerence of, we're talking about the belligerence of Russia now, but what about the, the belligerence of the West? Yeah, if the USA wanted to have an embargo on Cuba or Venezuela, as a national government, they have the right to do that. But what they do not have the right to do is to then punish and penalize other countries for conducting trade with Cuba or Venezuela. Well, it's, a, it's the world, uh, Pax American Empire or what, they don't have that international right. As a country, you can choose who you want to trade with, but you do not have a right to, to punish other countries for trading with your enemy. 
And so the world needs to stand up for those sorts of violations of international law as well. And that sort of been you know, pushed to the sidelines. And if USA wants to have an embargo and have no dealings with Russia, that's that's within their right to do. But they don't have a right to tell Germany you must immediately stop buying gas and oil from Russia or any other country in the world what they can or cannot do. We are, if we are going to defend sovereign rights, though it must be universal. It cannot be sovereign rights according to the interpretations of one superpower or the other. I think we, we can all agree on that. Thank you, Tim. That's so true because I think the media or like the information, which is obviously constructed or sometimes or most a lot of times manu uh, manipulated to make us feel it's only black and white. But what is the truth? And what is the like, we, we also perceive the truth in different ways. So, well, I will say it might be difficult sometimes for us to tell, like in between reading uh, between lines or from all this gray zone to find a way that to like most closely to what is really going on. But we do can do something to equip ourselves, at least with the um, sensitivity regarding this all this kind of information and also to identify like the agenda might be my sitting behind all this information we got. So yeah, thank you. And I think that's something we should really bear in mind and remind ourselves uh, um, like when we receive different information, not only regarding like uh, the information about war, but information in our daily lives as well. For example, with the pandemic. But uh, because of the time, I think I would like to pose uh, our last question as a, also as a conclusion to all our panelists. Let's try to uh, kind of change the phenomenon now to a more positive way that what do you think we can do in a time like this to support each other or to support ourselves as well? Like what come to your mind if we want to like besides sending our of course our prayers, our solidarities to our relatives uh, in conflicts in all this uh, hardship uh, situation, what else can we, can we do in this time? Anyone wants to go first? <laughs> Mia or? Okay, <laughs> sure. Uh, uh, thank you. Uh, so I think the most important thing that uh, that actually we're starting in our town is to, to provide uh, enough ample information to the indigenous people. So uh, because um, especially in our place, like uh, communities are so far in between each other and it's very hard to reach them. And most of the time they are unaware of what is actually happening around them. So this is one thing that we are very much focused on uh, with information dissemination education and uh, you know communication with other members of the community we keep the channels open for everyone and as much as possible uh, we are also active on you know uh, social media because it's actually a lot of help because we are able to gain attraction through 
social media because like a year ago we were virtually unknown uh, we were locked in a battle with this uh, corporation but no one knows about it and when we started uh, speaking out about it and uh, 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 you know uh, networking with other indigenous uh, indigenous people's uh, organizations it came to light and we're able to talk more about it and people were actually starting to support us and so we were able to widen our reach and so this is very important. I think uh, the uh, indigenous peoples need support. Uh, they are very, uh, they're very hard to reach. So if uh, people on the ground can be there to help them, to educate them, to keep them informed of their rights. Uh, because, you know, a year ago, we have no idea what is FPIC. <laughs> we don't know anything about uh, that, that. The Philippines actually have a law that is protecting the indigenous peoples. We had no idea about this. So when it, uh, when the, when they started, uh, when, they started the FPIC process in the uh, in Kabugao. That's when we learned about uh, we we armed ourselves with knowledge. We did research. We talked, reached out to uh, to lawyers and everyone. So that's when we uh, that's when we are we became aware that yeah the FPIC process was actually twisted to <laughs> to you know uh, to favor the proponents. So I think information and education is very very much. Uh, what we need, and of course, uh, as uh, support from other uh, organizations as well. So, yeah, that's that's what we can. Right. Thank you, Mia. Dai, would you like to add something to that? Yeah. Um, thank you very much. Um, I think simply um, the occasion like this we have tonight is very powerful i don't know how much people were reaching out but like those people who are in ukraine and russia they are not in the space place or situation that they can freely speak up or express their feelings but gasly and jocelyn you guys reached out to the friends there and they left a message to you and you introduce them so that they don't have to reveal themselves. and But they can um, convey the message or tell the situation to the world. And we get to talk about it. And we get to talk about um, uh, exchange the information and knowledge and educate ourselves through the discussions like we had today. And I got to know new people so like if we have more kind more uh, occasion like this and everywhere and multiple then i think it would have an impact at, at least for me it was a very 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 meaningful time today so yeah thank you very much thank you Dai. i think we are what we are also trying to do is to fill up this gap of uh, information because as all of us mentioned that there's a huge gap of information between indigenous peoples uh with the outside world and also like media literacy that's something we should also focus on and Huna, do you like to uh share something your opinions Thank you. I think it's the same idea like what Daya uh, and Mia said. It's a, uh, a community and communication. So we build, uh, uh, like make them build peace and free to 
share what they feel and that's all. Thank you. To provide a different voice to what is going on, right? And uh, Damon, would you like to say something? Yeah, um, I just realized yesterday that um, my NGO, the Indigenous Democracy Defense Organization, is the only international Indigenous NGO that is directly trying to assist Indigenous Ukrainians who are fleeing the conflict. Um, started out as an idea, as I said, I that. I don't like that sense of helplessness and, you know, no, there must be something that we can do. Um, whereas our colleagues who are between 18 and 16 years of age in Ukraine cannot by law leave the country because they have to stay and defend it. They do have, you know, sisters and nieces, children, you know, wives or whatever. Um, so should they feel the need to flee over the border, um, the Poland-Ukraine border, we have a network set up where I have uh, supporters in other EU countries who are willing to provide a room in their house you know, to house one or you know, a small group of indigenous refugees who uh, may have to flee Ukraine uh, temporarily to find refuge in, you know, in other countries in, in safety. Um, we also uh, so that's one way that people can donate to help if they have properties in the EU or friends or relatives who are willing to provide, you know, room and, and help save, you know, save a refugee or a few refugees temporarily in their home. Um, then the financial donations we send is basically 100 euros per refugee. Um, once they get over the, the border into Poland, uh, there are several Western Union branches nearby, and that money will provide them with the two or three uh, train tickets to get them from that point to the safe houses that we have in other EU member countries and uh, a meal for that day, of course. Uh, so that's two ways that we uh, were able to to find that we could directly assist, you know, people in saving their lives. And moral support and all that is, is very good. You know, a lot of people have this um, Ukraine flag on their social media profile pics and, you know, solidarity with Ukraine. But sometimes, you know, if you can actually do something tangible, uh, literally help somebody in need, I think um, we should try try our utmost to, to do that. And I'm glad that um, that our little NGO was able to, to be the first one. I hope we wouldn't be the last Indigenous NGO to, to do it. But um, I'm glad that, you know, we were able to... to find this um, this niche and try to do something um, for our indigenous brothers and sisters in Ukraine who I'm sure if we were in their situation we would want others to do the same thing for us uh, we have to get beyond this um, this ethnic identity nonsense and see all of, of humanity as our spiritual brothers and sisters and wherever possible we should live as our brother's keeper and, and help each other you know, when we can uh, until we come to that mindset and um, this cosmovision, that indigenous cosmovision of we're all children of the one God. Um, things are not really going to improve in anything more than a cosmetic way in this world. Uh, we have to get to the heart and you know, truly, you know, be the human beings that we were we were born to be. May I, Justin? <laughs> um, uh... I just wanted to jump in um, in terms of, I think, I think this particular part of the 
of tonight is is to me at least the most valuable in terms of it, it gives more more in depth insight because because the first was like barely barely scratching the surface but this is actually more important in terms of how we can help each other's struggles is one is to um yeah like everyone has said it's created i and i think one of the the uh, the the comments that were made by uh one of our, our friends in ukraine and in russia was he doesn't feel a sense of solidarity yet towards the situation and i think that's a lesson for us as indigenous peoples outside of the conflict conflict zone to how can we make sure this is kind of to me like it's almost like a litmus test like this is like moments like these are like um is a moment where a, the indigenous movements like global movements should be stepping up so that we can help others and that's uh and then when uh, when the uh, when the the people from the Cordillera needs us, then we can step up as a movement. When 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 the the yeah when an Okinawa needs us, then we can step up as a movement. And that's not happening yet. Like and it's um yeah like putting your banners on on a like I don't, I'm not a very super fan of putting banners on your profile picture because that that's also I'm like signaling yeah. I did my I did my job. I did I did my I did my part, and I'm and I'm, I'm gonna like order a burger at at at, uh, at McDonald's kind of kind of an idea. Um, I'm not saying that you have to like pick up your uh, back your bags and go to Ukraine and and, and fight the Russians. I'm not saying that either, but it is there's something uh, that we can do as a as a movement. 476 million Indigenous people all around the world. That's surely that we can do something to help help each other, right? To to create a sense of community. Uh, or to be a, become a community. Um, so there is something, and what Mia, you said, like more education, definitely more communication, so we know more about each other's... I'm barely, I'm just learning about the Cordillera, like the, 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 the nine hydropower plants right now. Like, shoot, like, like I should have known this like before it was actually happening. I'm an indigenous rights advocate advocate for crying out loud. Like, I, should be, I should be knowing that, uh, you know? And... It is something, maybe that is something that I'm, I think that uh, at least I'm willing to invest in my time and energy in, in terms of, you know what, there's all these things happening all around the world. Let's at least be aware of these things, that, that these are the things that are happening. Because that's, it starts with awareness, right? And then you create the capacity to know, and then you have the capacity to, to, to really contribute in a meaningful way. Um, so, and yeah, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying that I should, yeah. Uh, it's not as, as, as sexy as not, well, this is what I'm going to do and I'm going to do Ukraine or whatever. And, but it is something that we, as a, if we want to make significant progress and we want to make a significant impact, I think as a movement, we're very much able to do that as indigenous peoples all over the world. And I would like to see that happen in my lifetime. Um, cause, cause the last thing that we want, the last thing that we want is that to burden our next generation. Cause it's, life is already hard enough and it will only become more complex and more, 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 more difficult. Um, so I think don't want to burden our next generations with that. Cause they all have climate change knocking on our doors, you know, and, and, and lots of biodiversity, at least give them something that we can do as our, 
as our generation too. It's like, hey, this is what we put in place for you, this enabling environment that as a sense of community, this global community of indigenous peoples that can help so that we can help each other. I think that is something, I don't know, Jocelyn, am I, am I, am I um, making any sense or should I send in a cut in the, in the corner of a room and uppercut myself? Come on, you always make sense. Well, <laughs> not maybe not always, but anyway. <laughs> well, but actually I was, I, I got a bit um, personal feeling or that just hit me with this scenario that if really something happened between China and Taiwan, if there's really invasion or attack uh, on the island, and as indigenous person myself, what do I need in this mm. kind of situation? And actually, I do have this worry that the international indigenous movement would not be able to say anything because I think for Gonzali and uh, Dema, you know very well how are the indigenous uh, Taiwanese delegates Delegates were or have been isolated in a lot of um, occasion internationally. And I do worry that this would happen if there's uh, any invasion. I really hope that would not be the scenario, scenario. And what I'm thinking is that if I want, uh, if I don't want that to happen, then I should do it for myself. I mean, you know, as our friends uh, from Russia and Ukraine saying that they don't feel the support or the uh, the sympathy from uh, the international indigenous movement, then we should do something to make them feel that. And in return, one day, any of us, or, you know, in my case, that if we really encounter this situation, and uh, I think I could have less worry about not getting support or even just like a message asking if everything's okay um, at the end of my world, then in the end of my world, then I think that would help. So yeah, it's just suddenly hit me about this. And of course, this is the worst scenario we'll have. And that will really, it will, I would think if that really happened, countries around us will be very nervous as well, for example, for, for dying because we are so close to each other. And for me too, because we are also very close to Cordillera region. So I would say that we are on the same boat. That's, it's not that we are far away from each other. We are on the same boat in this um, concern. Yeah, so I'm not really making sense, I know, but oh, I you, just you, want to say that. Sense. <laughs> and I think this is the, the biggest lesson at least from from what I'm hearing, um, is that nobody is invulnerable. You know, and we we're all like, if if it if it can happen to to these people, the Crimean Tatar, if it can happen to the uh, Okinawa, it can happen if it can happen to 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 people in Korea or Maluku or whatever, it can happen to anyone. You know, and it, it is something that we uh, we should be super aware of. And like, I think the worst case scenario. Definitely is if I think like if 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 China is showing its muscles and going to do the unthinkable to Taiwan to our indigenous relations or our indigenous family in Taiwan, and uh, on your point, I agree that um, that the movement has been in many ways selective when it comes to supporting um, indigenous peoples. 
And I think that that's we cannot we can no longer afford to do that. Like it's of we, the movement. I'm not saying that I was part of it. Like that makes that makes I I wasn't part of it at all. But it's um yeah, it's something that uh yeah that that's we as a, as that's people hopefully that are watching and listening afterwards that that take that into account that that it's um um let this be. Let this situation right now that's happening right now, let that be a, a point of right thinking, like reflection, and let, let's let's how to improve uh, things like, like community and 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 rights education and capacity building and and uh, and helping each other. Yeah. Um, definitely, I would like to thank uh, Damon, Dai, Mia, Huna. Uh, for enriching this, this this discussion with lessons learned, experiences. Um, Jocelyn, definitely, uh, have, uh, thank you so much for uh, for for doing this uh, as well. Um, yeah, any any famous last words, Jocelyn? No, I think it's time for us to reflect and to think what can we do more further for the next step. From our end, well, sometimes maybe it's not. It, it doesn't really need to be like a big project or something. Something that we can start immediately to influence people, to make people uh, get to know more about what is going on with different scenario, different situation in different country, different parts of the world. I would say that's important, and uh, and for us, I think it's very important if. Anyone is uh, watching this uh, live stream or uh, uh, watching it or listen to the podcast afterwards or our friends here with uh, uh, join the uh, panel with us. Any information that we think is important to share, then let's share it. Let's keep it flow. Yeah. That's yeah. what I want to say now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, any famous last words? Dai, Mia, open up your, your, your microphones. Huna, uh, Damon. Um, anything like one media takeaway it's probably like the most difficult question i'm asking like, I, think, uh, <laughs> I, know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think uh, this uh from what everyone said it's like uh, we're all in this together so yeah we cannot really we're not we cannot be known anymore as you know people from here and people from there yeah. Uh, especially for indigenous peoples uh, from what i've heard from all of you it's like we share the same experiences i mean may not be war it may not be the developmental aggression but definitely indigenous peoples are always left behind and uh yeah i think we should uh, think about it that yeah we're all in this together and we should all uh, work on you know keeping as jocelyn said keep the keep the discussion flowing keep the awareness flowing so maybe in the next generation, you know, our responsibility with the next generation and the burden would be lessened for them, as Gisali said. So thank you so much. This is such a great opportunity and I am so happy to meet all of you. And I, I just feel so, I'm just feeling overwhelmed right now and so happy that we get to share our stories and we get to hear your stories as well. Thank you so much. Thank you, Mia. Any message? You want to send to conclude this um, discussion? Yes, uh, everyone, never feel that you are helpless. There is always, always something that each and every one of us can do to help. You just have to uh, figure out what that may be. But never, you know, 
never have this feeling of helplessness and and that you know you're just a passive observer of world events you are uh, limiting your true potential if you adopt that attitude thank you so much for this time i think i need to go it's a midnight and so thank you so much Gizali and just lean and anybody that touched my heart and it's feel what you feel too so i have to leave. thank you Huna. Bye. thank you Luna. bye thank you Huna. thank you it's also very late for Dai, right yeah <laughs> it's around 1 30. Uh, do you want to thank say you. anything to conclude let's stay connected uh we should build stronger team and we can do that uh, yes i was always in the indigenous network of slow food and also the um, indigenous fellowship program folks but um yeah we should we can have more opportunity to get connected uh with the indigenous peoples around the world and share the situation get to know each other we can work as a team thank you right thank you and thank you again for joining us in this special podcast episode in solidarity with our indigenous relatives in russia and ukraine and of course all around the world in a conflict situation or actually not only conflict situation but any kind of uh, struggles that we are facing and i think we're sending out this very strong message to tell people and also i think also very important to tell ourselves that we're not alone and we are standing with each other. Right, Ghazali? Absolutely, absolutely, um, Jocelyn. Yeah, uh, that's it. That's it for us. Um, thanks so much to our guests, uh, Damon, Mia, Dai, uh, Huna, and Jocelyn as well. Uh, but more importantly, most importantly, thank you to our colleagues from Russia and Ukraine um for 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 sharing their insights um there this they shared so many we can only select a few but we're definitely going to post them somewhere so you have an idea um yeah how they how they feel what what their what their personal opinions are um so the, the biggest thanks i would i would say is goes goes out to them um everyone thank you so much for making this episode a reality and um yeah hopefully Die, Mia, Jocelyn, a very good night, <laughs> rest of your uh, um, uh, evening, and everyone else that is watching or listening, Matebu, um, and have a good rest of your morning, afternoon, or evening. My friends, I hope you found some valuable insights in this episode. Um, if so, please feel free to share the podcast with your friends and colleagues who might be interested as well. And also, if you like what's been discussed today, um, make sure to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Anchor, or Stitcher Radio for more great content from the Gobluka podcast. Um, so yeah, uh, thanks again for listening, and we'll catch up at the next episode. Mm-hmm.